Good afternoon. Welcome to the Snake River Lib podcast. It's the 29th of November, 2022. And there's a few things that I wanted to cover today, so we'll see how long this goes. Uh, Just as a reminder, uh, later on this week, maybe even tonight, I'm not sure, over on the View from the Rim podcast, I'm going to be... Hosting as the alter ego from the rim, actually as the lib persona. Taking a look at some uh, um, points of view on the religious side, but from a an ideological perspective. Does that sound fun to you? Let me know. Um, wanted to begin with, I, I don't even know where to begin. So, Okay. August 3rd, 1981. Now, if you're in the air traffic control business or in the aviation business and or a historian of that, then you know that that was the day that Ronald Reagan fired 11,000 air traffic controllers who had illegally walked off the job. They had negotiated an agreement And depending on who you talk to, um, the membership rejected the agreement. And when I say it depends on who you talk to, some people say that actually the the uh, negotiators on behalf of PATCO, was the union at the time, um, had actually negotiated in bad faith, that they actually told their membership to vote down the uh, agreement. Say, thinking that they could get better, thinking that they could do like they did with the post or the post office did to uh, Jimmy Carter and get a, you know, threaten the strike and maybe even go on strike and get much better things. They weren't dealing with Jimmy Carter. Regardless of whether they told them to vote it down or they just didn't like it. Um, they rejected it and went on strike. Ronald Reagan went on national TV, told the controllers they had 48 hours to return. And if they returned to their jobs, there would be no, no punishment. And they would go on. But if they didn't, they would be fired. And as people should learn... One phrase that you should never say is, they can't fire all of us. There were some 15,000 controllers at the time. 11,000 of them were fired. Air traffic control was a little bit tough for several years. I was hired in 1988. And... Even at that late hour, they were still trying to build the the controller numbers up to pre-strike numbers. Think about that. That was seven years later. And they're still trying to hire up to get to where they were. 1989 saw the the NATCA, which is the new controllers union, 
certified to negotiate on behalf of the air traffic controllers. So from 1981 to 1988, there was no union negotiating on behalf. The uh, FAA set the work rules and that was it. First contract came out. Um, and a series of contracts came out through the 90s. 2006, FAA's playing hardball with the union, trying to uh, get some things under control. Now, I have to point out something here. Even when you have the most favorable circumstances, as far as the union speaking, the union is always stri- striking fear into its membership. I mean, that's how they keep people to stay members, right? Um, you know, that the FA is going to do this or going to do that or going to do the other. Well, 2006 rolls around. George W. Bush, president, FA is playing hardball with NACA. NACA doesn't like it. They they want to go to Congress to get Congress to force the FAA to negotiate a deal. The last contract said that if they can't write, you know, if they can't arrange a deal, then Congress can vote for it, you know, to get them back to the table. Or ultimately, the last deal that was on the table is what is implemented. Congress didn't go along. Funny how Republicans were when they are always, uh, um, NACA, the union, was always spending to get the Republicans out of office. Funny how the Republican uh, majority didn't take very kindly to NACA wanting them to help. So the FA uh, said, here's the contract. Take it or leave it. Of course, nobody's going to leave it. But uh, NATCA never technically recognized that contract. They filed grievances out the wazoo, and all those grievances were based on violations of the previous contract because they did not want to put anything in writing that would show an acceptance of what became known as the White Book or the imposed work rules. Fast forward to 2009, President Obama is elected union-friendly. The FAA essentially has a contract shoved down their throat. And thus ended the period of the imposed work rules. Now, you're sitting there saying, I know, why the heck does any of this matter? Well, let's go to 2022. And not talking about controllers this time, talking about not even government unions. Talking about rail unions. There was an imminent strike back in September where most of the unions had had arranged some sort of an agreement, had worked out an agreement with uh, the railroads. Not all the unions had. And the unions were going to stand together. That If one union did not accept a contract, then they would all honor the picket line. And so a strike at the end of September was imminent. 
President Biden goes in, or his people probably rather, President Biden makes a plea, hammers out a tentative agreement that they're going to vote on. To get them through the election midterms. By the way, rail transport, you, you think we had supply line issues now? Imagine what would happen if rail, which transport 40% of the goods in this country, stopped working. So the vote was put off until after the election. One, there were two unions that were outstanding. One union passed it, the other one rejected it. And so now we're facing a potential strike uh, next month. And so what's happening? President Biden has sent a letter to Congress asking Congress to impose the railroads last or impose the tentative agreement on the workers that had rejected it. This is not a government union. This is a private sector union, although all of us uh, will feel the impact of it. But I want you to pay attention because President Biden, who paints himself as a, the pro-union president, you know, to protect the unions from those evil Republicans, has asked a political body to impose a contract on a union that has already rejected that agreement. This is just like 2006 with the controllers all over again. wonder how the unions feel about that. More importantly, what will Speaker Pelosi do between now and then? Because it's in her hands whether she slams the contract down the union's throat and makes them work on an agreement which they have already rejected. Or, with her members particularly vulnerable, not that there's many moderate Democrats left, but Democrats from, from a lot of uh, uh, the Rust Belt and the Northeast, that may not be the uber-liberals or uber-progressives. Better from strong union states are going to feel the wrath of a membership that was just essentially encouraged to vote for Democrats and to see the Democrats turn around and stab them in the back with a tentative agreement that they rejected, forced down their throats. I wonder where the unions are on this. Do you think that they're letting their members of Congress know where they fall? 
The other railroad unions, by the way, are still saying that they will not cross a picket line if the one union that is not agreed actually does go on strike. What the president is trying to do by having Congress act is to take the strike away from them. How do you feel about that, union people? Not even giving you a choice whether you can strike or not. Saying, nope, nope, you have to work under the conditions that you rejected and you can't strike. Have a great day. I'm going to go eat ice cream. There's more in the news, but we're going to take a little bit different turn right after the break. So I'll be right back. And here we are, back again. Thank you so much for listening, by the way, taking the time. Um, just one thing, I, I will try to make it just one thing. Uh, well, there'll be two things, I guess, on, on COVID. Uh, Twitter has announced that they're officially uh, um, disbanding the uh, misinformation Gestapo on Twitter regarding COVID information already knew that was going to happen elon musk is uh has promised actually that he's going to be putting forward documents about why certain things have happened won't that be fun and exciting to see the left is freaking out over it which they should simply because Nothing good can come from it, particularly in regards to the government. In regards to the uh, um, the government doing an end run around the Constitution by communicating with Twitter and the other social media sites to censor information, and lo and behold. Uh, Department of Justice says they're going to open an investigation as to whether or not uh, Elon Musk running his private company can determine what free speech is. And one last thing about COVID. Dr. Fauci, in an interview, one of his last interviews before he gets hauled before the house after he's a former employee. Um, stated that it's very unlikely that money that NIH gave in grants to Eco Alliance, which was uh, working at the Wuhan uh, Institute of Virology, It's very unlikely that the studies that was funded by the NIH contributed to the development of COVID. He can say that. The fact that, the fact that he's saying it at all should say, okay, what is he hiding? Because a year ago... A year ago, he rejected the idea that, that NIH had funded any kind of gain-of-function research period and that there was no way 
that it funded something that led to the development of COVID. Now he says it's highly unlikely. Here's the problem with what Dr. Fauci said. Now, Dr. Fauci was very clear. He said that the grants that NIH gave to Eco Alliance, that the studies that were funded by those grants, meaning this is what we want to study, NIH says, oh, okay, we're going to write a check. So Dr. Fauci may technically be correct, but one thing that is, here's, here's the wild card in that, and then we'll move on from COVID because I get sick of it, is what if Eco Alliance diverted the money elsewhere? I mean, they... They ran studies based on what the grant was for, but can you really say what money went where? I mean, and they, you can even play the shell game completely, shell game completely legitimately. Where okay, we're getting this money. This is just like lottery and and education, right? Um, you know, lottery was supposed to give all this money to education, and it did. But what happened was. States said, oh, we got all this money coming in for education. We can divert this money that would normally go to education elsewhere. And so education spending really didn't go up all that much. What if the same thing happened here where NIH gives money and because that frees up some research, that money is able to go into COVID or into gain-of-function research regarding the SARS virus, which developed into COVID. End result's the same, right? They might as well have funded the COVID research, because indirectly they did by freeing up funds elsewhere. So you have to remember Dr. Fauci is very careful with what he says, but notice the difference. A year ago, there's no way that we're funding gain-of-function research. And there's no way that that funding could have been used to develop COVID. To now, it's unlikely that the studies that we issued grants for would have led to the COVID virus. A huge, monumental change in language, which really should tell you all you need to know. Should we move on from that? Yeah. Oh. Let's see. You know, one thing I would like people to ask with these nominees, uh, political appointees, is you're saying this is the best person for the job. Best person, period. Because, you know, when it comes to... When it comes to um, choosing people for any kind of position, is it more important that they're the best person for the job? The most qualified candidate for the job? If you believe that, by the way, meritocracy is considered racist unless you're talking about uh, professional athletics, and then it's not racist.
you know, this Korean Jean Pierre chick that is the press secretary or the spokesperson for the administration. I mean, I thought Jen Psaki was bad. But uh, this this gal makes Jen Psaki look like Kaylee McEnany. And that's, of course, a compliment for Jen Psaki. We have this person who was charged is the nuclear waste specialist for the administration. Let me see if I can find the name of the person here. Uh, Sam Brenton serves as a deputy assistant secretary for spent fuel and waste disposition in the office of nuclear energy in the department of energy. They admit, identify as a gender non-conforming. This person's facing a felony charge uh, for theft, for stealing somebody's suitcase at, at an airport. Is this really the best that we can do? We should be looking for the best and the brightest, period. Not best and brightest based on on the uh, uh, how many check marks they have when it comes to intersectional politics. I don't even know where else to go. We call it a day. Um, Twitter has promised that they're going to be going out, coming out with uh, transparency, transparency in pretty much everything. Um, you know what? Let's just call it. Right now. Oh, China. Yeah, we're just, we're going to call it. I just wanted to tell you, you know, that, that we have to be careful. Um, We've, we've highlighted a number of times the difference between the collectivists who do not care at all about the individual. And by the way, just because they're Republican does not mean that they also don't care about the individual. In fact, most Republicans don't. You know, Republicans are just as bad when it comes to politics. You know, they, you know, they write off certain populations that they'll never vote for them. And so they don't even bother. You know, that was Mitt Romney, if you remember, in 2012, made the comment that 47% of the people would never vote for him. And, and turned out he was right. Um, you can't treat anybody as part of a group. That is, that is the left's favorite thing to do. They look for 
anybody that stands out. Especially when you're talking about certain group identities. That's why the left hates conservative women. Because women should not be conservative. That's why the left hate conservative blacks. You know, blacks, you, you want to talk about an abused minority. The left has used the blacks for decades, promising and never delivering, and yet no group is more reliable to vote Democrat than American blacks. Donald Trump in 2016, he went to Michigan, to Detroit, and he asked probably the most important question ever. And that was, what have you got to lose by voting for a Democrat or for a Republican? Democrats run the largest cities in this country and have for decades. These cities that are full of crime and corruption, these school districts which students are failing miserably, are all run by Democrats. Or in the event it's a nonpartisan position, many mayor uh, positions are technically non-polished, and then we'll just go with progressive. We're going to spend more and spend more and spend more, and we're going to accomplish nothing with that spending. But they can do that because they can count on your vote, and they don't have to worry about your vote. even as they go chasing these unicorns that are more likely within the realm of your typical um, college graduate white liberal. They don't have to worry about these minority groups, except maybe they're starting to. Most people don't sign off on the stuff that the progressives are selling. In fact, if we were a democracy, which we're not, most of the stuff that the left is selling would be cast out. Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade is in abortion, early abortion in particular, within the first trimester, American people agree with. Abortion in the third trimester, American people disagree with. So if that was a, dem a democratic a question that was put forward to the populace, there would be your answer. Voter ID, same thing. Um, except for that blacks and Hispanics support voter ID even more 
than whites do. But the American population in a supermajority supports voter ID requirements. If the people had an understanding of who pays taxes in this country, I wonder if people would be more willing to entertain tax reform. Because what do we hear? Well, the rich don't pay taxes, which, of course, is nonsense. Just a ballpark figure. Top 10% make like 20%, top 5% make like 20% of the revenue in this country and pay 40% of the income tax. Go figure that. This nation was founded to guarantee individual liberties, individuals' freedom. Identity politics is destroying that. My life matters. Does yours? It's the lid.